Welcome to the Cascade Church Portland podcast. We're a church that works to be both safe to be and safe to grow through our commitment to intentionality, diversity, curiosity, prayer, and advocacy. Enjoy! So we are excited to have musical superstar Crispin Mayfield as he comes. He's also an LPC, a licensed counselor, who's done so much work on attachment theory and God is working on a book in that way, and I'm thrilled that he's going to be here to share with us this morning. Thanks, Crispin. Thanks, Kurt. Today we're going to talk about connection with God uh, with this attachment science lens, um, and I just wanted to actually start with a check-in question, um, which is, I'm like looking, oh yeah, how do you get close to God? How do you stay close to God? And that could be an answer answer for now, or this could be like, as you were, if you grew up in the church or grew up with some sort of spirituality, right, what were you told? How do you get or stay close to God? So I'm going to have you guys just uh, talk to the people around you, make sure that no one's left out, uh, have a minute to say your name, and just discuss this question, right? How do you get or stay close to God? All right, so... How do you get close to God or stay close to God? Quiet time. Yeah, definitely. Anyone growing up, what did you, you know, if you grew up in the church, what, did, what were things that you heard? Read your Bible. Mm-hmm. Prayer. Yeah, definitely. Do good. Uh-huh. Yeah. Don't sin. Yeah, definitely. That's important, right? Because sin separates us from God. We're going to talk about that. Okay, yeah. Go to church. Is that what you said? Yeah, God is in church. Right. Yeah, if you stop going to church, that's the same as, like, walking away from God, right? We have all these, like, sort of distance metaphors. Yeah. Well, um, fortunately, uh, I just did a little bit of Googling, and um, I found a website that um, is how to stay close to God even when no one else is on WikiHow. So apparently there's, like, everything (laughs) on there. So I was like, well, I'll just read this webpage and we'll be good. But um, one of the first steps was being okay with not being the coolest kid in school. Um, So I was like, oh, this is for like a specific demographic. Um, But apparently that's one of the things that you need to do. Um, I found a list online of things that will drive God away. So I thought that was important. Um, Going gangbusters on family activities. Uh, Planting my face on a TV, iPhone, or iPad. Uh, Driving like a routine robot on a schedule. So be careful of those of you that do like the parent pick up and drop off. Like if you're on a routine schedule, apparently that drives God away. I mean, it really makes me think like we have a lot of power. I just sit in front of the TV and poof, God is gone, right? Uh, another one is expecting things to happen. Um, so, I mean, this, apparently, if you expect things to happen, uh, that can drive God away. Uh, getting frustrated when they don't happen. Um, and allowing anxiety and worry to seep in. And this was just like a website I found on Crossway, which is actually like a major Christian publisher uh, that published this present darkness, uh, which is... Uh, a novel of interest in our household right now. But it really points to this precarious relationship that we have with God, right? It's like, if I can, just by me being distracted uh, on my TV, 
right, or like being on my phone, if that drives God away, then it's really going to be tough to keep God around. And I know that we all have different experiences, um, but this definitely growing up for me was sort of the view I had of God, is that if, if you're not on the straight and narrow, then you're going to be far, right? Um, I had a friend recently who said it was like a walking conveyor belt, and if you're not like running forward, then you're going backwards, right? Which is like, it takes a lot of energy. Um, and so that's actually what got me interested in looking at attachment science and theology, because attachment is all about trying to get close. We have attachment figures. Uh, that is usually our parent, um, and then later can be other people, you know, a partner. Um, it can be just significant people in our lives, right? And so we want to get co- close to our attachment figure, and so we'll engage in proximity-seeking behaviors, which is basically just this scientific way of saying the ways that we try to get connected and close to our caregiver. So babies cry, uh, toddlers cling, and as we grow up, we have a lot of different strategies for getting close. And so we're going to be looking at what are these ways that we try to get close to God, because if you're a person of faith, the way that we interact with God actually is the same way we interact with other people in our brain. So our right hemisphere is sort of where this attachment system lives, and actually it gets activated in the same way that it does with our spouse or our parents or our kids. Um, And so what that means is that we actually, as our brain is processing this this relationship with this invisible being, it's actually reacting in the same way that it does with real people in our lives. So I wanted to look at what are the ways that we try to get connection with God. So there are four different ways, um, and there's, there's an initial division. There's secure, and then there's three ways to deal with insecurity, but we'll start with secure. So secure attachment is, um, I like this idea of a cozy cabin, right? So you can go there whenever you need to. You have a key, right? You don't need to be there all the time, but if you need to go into the warmth, you can get there. And that's what secure attachment is. If I need to get to my parent, I know that they'll be there for me, right? Or if I need, if I need support from a family member or from my partner, I know that they'll be there for me. I don't need to be with them all the time because I know that they're, they're gonna be there. And so I really like this picture of a key. It's like carrying around this key to a cozy cabin, right? And, and that gives us this, this security to be able to go throughout the rest of our lives, go through stressful things, um, because we know that, that we can get there. And a lot of us probably have some sense of this dynamic in our relationship with God, right? Like, I know that God is there for me. I know that if I need God, I can call, right? and God will show up, God will be there. There are some other parts where we're not so sure about that, but a lot of us have some aspect of that. So if you wanted to just, I wanted to pause here and notice within you, is there any part of you that knows if I need God, I can get close. If When I need him, I can get close to him. And we're gonna go through this with the different strategies, but I wanna just give a moment to notice 
and reflect, right? Is there a part of you that knows, like, yeah, if I really need God, I can get to him? And then we're going to move on to what happens when we feel insecure. So there are three different ways uh, to deal with insecurity. The first one is preoccupied. Um, And this happens in childhood. This is like, I know that I can get my parents' attention and get the connection I need sometimes, but sometimes my parent is distracted or they're stressed or whatever it is. And I know that this brings up a lot of anxiety in parents. You don't have to be perfect. Um, It's like 30% is the bar. Um, And actually, it's really not about getting it perfect. It's like when our kid is distressed, when our child is distressed, and then we notice that they're distressed, right? So maybe we blow it, but then they're really sad, and then it's like, oh, right, I notice that you're sad, and we can repair that relationship. But if you grow up in a home where things are, like, just vastly different from day to day, you know, today I can get the connection and affection that I need. Tomorrow, like, I don't know what happened. It's like my parent isn't even there. Then we get really focused on, like, how do I make sure that I get this connection? So we can get really focused on our behavior. Um, If I'm not sure that mom isn't going to leave, then I can't go explore the playground, right? I have to sit there right next to her and, like, cling onto her skirt. And so with this preoccupied attachment style, it's, it's this idea of, like, I'm so preoccupied with this relationship because I can't really trust that connection to be there. It's up to me to make sure that this connection happens, right? And so that can be, like, trying to be a good kid, right? I'm, I need to be really good so that my parent doesn't uh, stop paying attention to me. Uh, emotions, a lot of times preoccupied attachment causes us to make our emotions really big, right? So it's like, yeah, I can't trust that mom is going to pay attention to me if I'm crying quietly, so I'm going to cry really loudly. Um, And what this leads to is, like, I always have to double check. I always have to make sure that my parent is there because I can't, I don't have this innate trust that they're just going to be there for me. Um, And so there's actually this uh, little page from Winnie the Pooh that I loved. Um, And Piglet is, is the perfect preoccupied uh, attachment strategy person, right? Pooh whispered Piglet. Yes, Piglet, replied Pooh. Nothing answered Piglet. I just wanted to be sure of you. And that's what this preoccupied attachment is, is I need to just constantly make sure that you're there. It's cute in Piglet. In adulthood, it can be a little bit exhausting sometimes for people around us. Um, I have some of this preoccupied part, right? So it's like, it's quiet in the car. Are we okay? Or like, you didn't text me back. Are we okay? Like this constant, like, are we okay is what this sort of attachment style grows up into. And also what happens is that I end up internalizing that there's something wrong with me that I can't get the connection that I need. And that creates the shame, and it's, it's oftentimes not connected to words or thoughts, but it's just this feeling inside of, like, there must be something wrong with me. I'm not inherently lovable. Therefore, I have to make sure that I keep this relationship, right? I have to make sure that the connection is there. It's like holding a bunch of balloons, and I need to hold on really tightly because if I let go, the balloons are just going to soar off into the ether, And that's this approach to relationships is like, I need to make sure that I keep you close. People with this attachment strategy have a sixth sense for danger. They're like on high alert for disconnection. 
right? So again, it's quiet in the car. You didn't text me back or this or that. And it's like, are we okay? They're, they're reading into all these things whether or not the, the connection is okay. And it gets exhausting actually for both parties. But it's this, I always have to monitor the relationship. I always have to make sure that it's okay because I can't trust that those that I really care about are going to stick around. And then the other part is my emotions have to get really big in order to be heard. And actually, as we grow up, a lot of times those big emotions end up sometimes driving people away because it can be exhausting. And then this other thing happens where we're striving all the time to try to keep this relationship, and then this resentment comes up, this anger of like, I'm so mad that I need you so much and I have to try so hard to keep you here. And so that can also come out in relationships where it's like, I really need you, and at the same time, I'm really mad that I need you so much, and it can come out in anger. So I wanted to look specifically what this preoccupied attachment strategy looks like in faith. I would call this preoccupied spirituality. So um, I think you guys mentioned some of these things, right? Like, got to read my Bible, got to go to church, um, we try not to sin. I think that's a big thing for a lot of us that grew up in the evangelical church is like sin drives God away, so I need to make sure to not sin, which, by the way, isn't true. If you think about it, like, so Adam and Eve sin, right, and then God shows up, and then Cain kills Abel, and then God shows up, and then Jacob steals the birthright, and then he wrestles with God in the desert, and then Moses kills someone, and meets God in the desert again. So I think, actually, if you want God close, you just need to murder someone. <laughs> I think if there's, like, one lesson from the book of Genesis about proximity-seeking behaviors, uh, that's it. Um, so, yeah, we try, to, we try to not sin, right? Um, a lot of times we, we get desperate. We have this desperation, right? Like, I'm a piece of poop. I can't believe you love me. Had to censor that. But, right, we've heard that a lot. Is like, God, I can't believe that you would love someone like me. And it's really this way of, of like, being desperate, trying to keep God close by, like, hating the unholy part of ourselves, right? We sort of, like, imagine that God doesn't like us very much. And so we're like, we know that I, you know, I know I'm not likable, but thank you for loving me anyway. Um, and actually, there's been some research on that approach uh, to spirituality, and it shows that, surprise, surprise, it doesn't actually create a secure attachment with God. If you're always coming to God like, I know that I'm a terrible sinner, I'm a worm, but you love me anyway, it actually like perpetuates that insecurity, which I think is really interesting. Um, another thing that we do is we do this uh, just right theology, Right, So it's like, all right, I need to make sure that I have the right theology in order to not be rejected by God. But then what happens over time for a lot of us is there's this resentment towards God. I'm tired of trying so hard to keep you close. This is exhausting. Why won't you just love me as I am? Right? Why won't you just stay here with me? Why do I always have to be on this walking conveyor belt run in the opposite direction? And one thing that's really sad about this preoccupied spirituality is that people that have gone through attachment trauma where they haven't had a parent that's shown up for them, they have this sense that there's something at their core that's disgusting or repulsive, right? It's this shame that is deeper than words. 
that just says, you know what, there's something about you that just drives other people away. And that's also a message that we've gotten often in the church. Your heart is black with sin, and God can't stand it. He has, you have to be washed clean before you can get close to God. And so it actually perpetuates this insecure attachment. It perpetuates that message to people that, yeah, there actually is something so broken with you, so flawed with you that you don't deserve love and you don't deserve relationship. So you, you actually need to fundamentally change before you're accepted. And that actually was the thing that really struck me when I was first reading attachment literature is hearing over and over again about these people that talk about this sense of feeling like there's something at their core that's disgusting and repulsive. And I was like, that's literally like what I was told when I was like five years old. So it really makes me want to pause here and notice what are the parts of you, is there a part of you that feels like it's just up to you to keep God from running away, right? What are the parts of you that are working really hard to keep God close? I just want to give like a moment of silence for that. And notice even if you feel it somewhere in your body. I know for me, it's like clenching my stomach. Like I, I just need to try really hard to keep you close. And then I want you to also notice, is there any part of you that feels resentful for trying, having to try so hard? I think just giving, giving some room for these experiences is really important because it just tends to fly into the radar. So noticing, is there part of me that feels so anxious about my relationship to God? And is there a part of me that feels really resentful of having to be so anxious? And then I want to move on to dismissive attachment. And one of the things is these aren't like cut and dry categories. These are different attachment strategies. So you might use all of them. I know that I do at different points. But dismissive attachment is... Well, imagine this. So imagine being four years old, right? That's easy for me because I have a four-year-old. And you scrape your knee on the playground and you look over at mom or dad who's sitting on the side, right? And you think, okay, I could go get a hug from mom. She will say I'm sorry, but her face is gonna show annoyance. I know that if I go to mom, like she's actually gonna be annoyed that I'm crying, you might decide that it's better to have throbbing knees than to feel like you're a bother. And that's actually what dismissive attachment is. In order for me to have connection, I actually have to keep my emotions inside because if I let them out, I'm gonna get rejected by you. So then you would go and you'd just play on the playground, you'd distract yourself. You might get close to mom, but not too close, right? You might go over to mom and sit next to her, but not cry. And really what, what this kid is learning is if I show emotion, I'm going to be rejected. And so learning that emotions actually drive people away. And so then you grow up, and then your, your main way of dealing with emotions is stuffing them down, which is why I have this feelings in a jar. I thought it was a great symbol of dismissive attachment. And so you, you're stuffing down your emotions because actually you want to keep other people close. 
you're reluctant to rely on others because you got this message that it's not okay to rely on others. And then you actually are uncomfortable with other people's emotions because when other people feel emotions, it triggers emotions in us. We're empathic beings, no matter you know, what you think about your emotional intelligence. Other people's emotions is going to elicit an emotion in you. So someone else is crying and you're like, wait a minute, I'm trying really hard to keep these emotions like locked up and now you're making them come up. So then you're gonna get annoyed at other people crying. But really, for, for these people, it's the only way that they've ever learned how to manage emotions. They never had anyone when they were little learn how to manage emotions. You know, someone to be there like, oh, I'm sorry you're sad. Let me give you a hug, right? That's, that's all we need in order to move through emotions. But if you don't have a parent that does that, then it's totally up to you to deal with those emotions. And the best strategy is to just shove, shove them down. So uh, people tend to be task-focused, like that kid distracting themselves on the playground. It's like, I can focus on work, or I can focus on video games, or I can focus on uh, whatever it is. And these are ways to distract myself from what I'm feeling inside. And then they tend to feel suffocated in relationships. Um, and I think part of what's going on there is it's actually like, I don't know how to do this emotions thing. Please don't make me do it. Let me, let me, let's just go like for a run together or let's go watch a movie together. But if we're gonna talk about the emotions thing, that's scary for me, so I don't wanna do it. And that's really it, is that for people with dismissive attachment, emotions are scary because they never learned how to, how to deal with them. And so their brains actually um, have kind of ratcheted down getting emotions. Uh, from their body. There's this part of the brain that I don't actually know how to pronounce, but it actually stops giving as much input. So people with this strategy, they actually don't get as much emotional input, um, and that's also the part of the brain that helps us read body language from others. So, um, but really it's this strategy of connecting, right? If my parents can't stand my emotions, then I need to get rid of them. So then if we look at dismissive spirituality, Right? This can look like not wanting anything from God. Um, it can be approaching the Bible in a systematic way, not engaging emotionally. Um, and there's something really interesting. So dismissive spirituality drives this way of doing theology. Um, I've read a little bit of research about people with dismissive attachment and the way that they think about the world. And what happens is if you have this rigid, rigid uh, way of thinking about the world, in order to change the way that you think about the world, you actually have to engage emotionally with your own experience um, and with the experience of others. And if your whole goal is to not feel things, then you're not going to have that chance. Um, and so I was thinking, I think it was last year, uh, Desiring God is a website um, kind of based around John Piper's ministry. Um, and they had this article called The Sin of Empathy, and um, it's maybe a little bit more nuanced. I can give them some credit that they said feelings aren't totally bad. Um, but really, it's this idea of like feeling other people's feelings is bad because you have to cling to the truth. And this is such a dismissive uh, spirituality way of approaching things is like, I don't want to engage with your suffering because that's really hard internally. 
So if I can stick to the, the rigid theology that I have, then I don't have to actually think too hard about it, right? So if I think that things are predestined, then it's like, well, you know, this, like, um, actually, John Calvin uh, believed that the uh, economic inequality of his day was um, predetermined by God. So it's like, okay, well, I see people that are suffering in poverty, but, but God ordained this. So I guess it's up to him. And it's this way of emotionally escaping from the suffering in the world. And it made a lot of sense to me about um, as we go through faith shifts, and probably if you're here, you've probably gone through some sort of faith shift. And as you think about it, you're probably thinking, oh, yeah, like I had to engage emotionally. But if emotions are scary then it's hard to make that shift. And it makes sense, right? These are people that no one ever helped them with their emotions. So I want to pause here and notice, are there any part, is there any part of you that feels safer just approaching God in an analytical way? And I think that makes a lot of sense. I think you don't have to have this attachment style to sometimes feel safe with this, especially all the things we've been told about God trying to approach it in a systematic way with a little bit of emotional distance. So just take a minute and notice, right? Do I escape to my head? Do I get out of my body uh, when I think about God? And then I wanna, this last category is sort of a common, it tends to be a combination of both of the others. Um, a lot of times you'll hear, uh, disorganized attachment. Um, I'm using the term fearful attachment. So imagine that you're that four-year-old again and you scrape your knee, but you know if I go to mom, she's going to say you're such an idiot and she's going to hit you on the side of the head for falling. Now you're caught between these two very strong drives. One drive is when I'm hurt, I go to my caregiver. I go for comfort. And then this other drive to protect myself from my caregiver because they're going to hurt me. And so that's why I have these two tigers because internally it's like these two drives. And so you're stuck in this place where it's like I don't know actually how to get safe. Our nervous system gets stuck on high alert because it's like I know that as a mammal, the way that I calm down is going to my caregiver. But also going to my caregiver is going to cause more pain. And... What this looks like in adulthood is you can, I mean, it's just a strong mixed emotion about relationships, and it can show up in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it means being both closed off and desperately clingy. The internal chaos of trying to connect can often cause anxiety and depression. Um, a lot of times to deal with these conflicting desires, which, by the way, is why I have the two tigers. I think that's kind of what it feels like on the inside, is like these two diverse uh, drives, opposing drives, just like clashing all the time. So I might dissociate, I might choose numbing behaviors over relationships, right? I might be more prone to addictive behaviors because relationships aren't safe, but at the same time, I'm not okay. I really need relationships, so at least I can just numb my feelings. And then I think, um, I'll just speak for myself, growing up, this sort of approach to God really fits. I both really need God, and I'm also really afraid that he's going to punish me or reject me if I get too close. 
And I even think about the, some of the theology that I was given growing up is like, God can't stand your sin, but Jesus has stood in the way, right? And that actually like reaffirms this idea that, that if God really got to know me, that he wouldn't like me. It kind of felt like, you know, I knew I was going to heaven, but I was going to get slipped in the back door. I, I want to be here, and at the same time, I'm afraid that, that God is going to shame me, reject me, punish me, and I'm caught in this, in this really hard, chaotic place. And it goes back to that, that ugly, repulsive heart thing again. At the core of me, there's something really wrong. So as much as I want to get close to God, I know that if I get close that I'm going to get hurt or rejected or shamed. And this is where I think our conception of holiness can be really harmful because it's this idea of like God is holy and you can't get close to him. But we have these proximity-seeking behaviors, this attachment system that's like, no, get close, get close. And then in the church we're told, no, you need to stay far away because God can't stand sin. And so we get stuck in this place. And so I want to just take a moment here and notice Is there any part of you that feels tension between wanting God close and fearing that you'll get hurt if God gets too close at the same time? And as we notice these responses to the insecure attachment, right, they're all rooted in fear. It's this fear that I'm going to be abandoned if I don't work really hard. It's a fear that If I engage emotionally, no one's going to be there to help with my emotions. If I get too close to God, I'll be punished or shamed. And so at Cascade, one of the things that we have is we actually have room for a confession of fear. And I think that's really important to make room for what what are these fears we have and how do they impact us. And so I really appreciate you guys taking a moment to notice what What are these emotional responses inside? And I really think that this points forward. So if you have that preoccupied spirituality, that anxiety, it might mean a season of doing nothing and trusting that you're loved. Doing nothing and seeing, like, maybe God sticks around. Or finding a symbol of God's love to go back to. When Harriet spoke, she brought up a painting that was this like symbol that she could constantly go back to. I love poems by Hafiz, who's a 13th century uh, Muslim Sufi poet. But just whatever it is for you that really reminds you of God's unconditional love, that he's not going anywhere. If you have that dismissive attachment strategy with God, it might mean reading a biblical story and putting yourself in the story. Not thinking so much analytically, but just what would it feel like to be one of the characters? Um, Or you might practice Lectio Divina, which is basically, I'm going to totally butcher this, so sorry, uh, Catholic um, spiritual directors. Um, But it's basically just like reading a passage of scripture and noticing like what goes on inside, right? Like what stands out to me? It's not at all about like what's the analytical systematic framework. It's actually just like, yeah, how do I personally engage with this? And then with this fearful attachment, it might mean telling God how much you hate the threat of judgment 
or shame or punishment, just being honest with him and saying, like, I hate that I feel judged by you all the time. I know that takes some risk. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But one thing that I want to say is that if you experience this insecure attachment, it's not something that's wrong with you. It's because you've been given a bad picture of God. Attachment isn't something that we choose. It's this thing that our nervous system does in response to the information we've been given. So if you notice that you feel anxious or you feel dismissive, it's because that's the way that your body and your brain have learned to survive in relationship with God. And God obviously created secure attachment. He created parenthood. And so I think that whatever it is that we need for secure attachment, he's willing to give us. I really think that faith is believing that God is better than we've been told. And I think that's one of the things that Jesus came. Jesus didn't come saying, like, God is real, God is real, right? Like, everybody believed that God was real. What Jesus is saying is God is actually much better than you imagined. God is way more loving than you imagined. So I'd encourage you, as you sit with these fears, to bring them to God. Tell him how hard it is. I I hate how hard it is to stay connected to you, or I, I hate that I'm always living in fear of your judgment or punishment. And that does take some vulnerability. So if that feels too vulnerable to share with God, that's fine too. I think that God can handle not being trusted. I don't think that our connection is that precarious. I think he's there no matter what. So I'm really excited. This is the the beginning of of two weeks. Next week, we're going to talk about how do we actually help our nervous systems catch up to, to that security? How can we engage in spiritual practices that remind us of God's unconditional love?